I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40. And let me also uh, mention again, I believe this may have been mentioned earlier as we were all coming in and the announcements were, were shared. But uh, uh, we do have, of course, Christmas Eve service, 5 o'clock uh, on Christmas Eve. And then I want to mention, remind you, on, on Christmas morning, I realize some may decide to come to worship, but some, some may not on that particular morning. We are having an abbreviated worship service, so we plan to, to be here really for about 45, maybe 50 minutes on that uh, Sunday morning. Likewise, on January 1st, uh, New Year's Day. And I also just want to mention, feel free to come just as you are. Bring the kids in the jammies, whatever. If you'd like to come and worship, we really think it'll be a a special time, especially on Christmas morning. I realize folks will be getting up and doing gifts. I mean, the Peters boys are up and done by 7.15, so they'll they'll be all ready to go, no problem. 10 o'clock's not going to be hard to hit, but... uh, but if, you, if you're just kind of wrestling to get here and so forth, we'd love for you to come and, and, and come casual if you need to so that you can come on to, uh, to worship with us that, that day. Uh, Isaiah 40 we want to look at this morning, and I invite you to turn there. We are continuing on in our series uh, through uh, the Advent season, looking at these prophecies from Isaiah, this prophet of the Old Testament who wrote some 700 years before Jesus would come into the world. He wrote uh, back in that time and yet was pointing forward to the reality of Christ's coming. So that's what we've been looking at in the last uh, few weeks. And in fact, we looked, I guess, two weeks ago at the gift of presence. We've been looking at the different gifts that Jesus brings to us. The gift of presence, P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E, the gift of presence, which is the reality that Jesus, we're told, is Emmanuel. He's God with us. He demonstrates to us that God cared enough to enter into our world and come close to us and to meet our deepest needs. We saw that he's Emmanuel with us, the gift of, uh, the gift of God's presence. We saw also the gift of righteousness last week, looking at Isaiah 11, and saw that Jesus comes as this perfectly righteous one. And as such, as this infinitely valuable one, God's own son, And yet this one who is fully man, fully human, he can come and completely take our place, be our substitute, to be our righteousness, to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, to be a substitutionary atonement for us who need that grace and that work of mercy in the face of a holy God who would justly condemn us otherwise. So Jesus has come to be our righteousness, the gift of righteousness he gives To us that can be credited to our account simply by faith in Him. We'll look this morning at the gift of salvation, and then I'll go ahead and let you know on Christmas morning, our assistant pastor Harrison Hatfield will be sharing with us about the gift of freedom, looking at Isaiah 61. All of these things, all of these gifts are in reality like uh, overlapping realities. They're like light coming forth from a prism. You look at it from over here and it sort of shimmers one particular way. You look at it from over here, it shimmers another way. Essentially, it's all the same light coming forth from God's Son, the source of our salvation, the source of our righteousness, the source of our freedom, the source of all our joy. Today, though, we will focus in on this gift of salvation. And so I invite you to look with me at Isaiah, to stand with me as well. I'll read aloud these verses, and you can read along silently. Isaiah 40, I'll read verses 1 
through 11 and look for what it says about the gift of salvation that finds its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended and her iniquity is pardoned. That she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare a way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low and the uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass. And all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God will stand forever. Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not, say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. You may be seated. And let me pray again for us. Oh, Father, we are so thankful for the salvation that's brought to us by the Lord Jesus Christ coming into the world. This marvelous reality, oh, Lord, let it fill our hearts this morning. Let us understand it more deeply. Give us attention to your word, that we might grow in you this morning, grow in our salvation, see the beauty of this gift. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, how many here are planning some kind of travel out of our city over the next couple of weeks? Raise your hand if you're planning some kind of travel. A few, a few are traveling. We... uh, Traveling is interesting. Traveling, especially this time of year, is interesting. It's a busy time. Lots of flights, especially if you're flying on a plane, coming and going. And maybe you've had this experience being at the gate. Uh, Maybe you'll have some of this experience coming up in the next few weeks with travel. As Bill Hybels has pointed out, it's interesting to watch the difference between people who have a confirmed ticket on a flight at the gate and people who are merely on standby. If you're on standby, you're pacing around a bit, right? Probably rubbing your forehead, maybe checking your phone, trying to find updates, walking up to that counter to see every two or three minutes what's going on with the flight. Anxious, agitated, discomforted, to say the least. But if you've got a ticket, if you're confirmed on the flight, 
you might check to make sure that departure's on time, but you sit there and visit with your friends. You might pick up, open a magazine. You might even take a nap. You're comforted. There's comfort in knowing that you've got a confirmed ticket. Well, as unglamorous as it might sound and perhaps a bit oversimplified, it's nevertheless absolutely true that in Jesus Christ, if our faith is in Him, because He has come into the world, because He is the Savior of all who would trust in Him, we have a confirmed ticket from the living God. We have it in our hands because of what Jesus has done. And because of that, we ought to have, if our trust is in Christ, great comfort this morning. We're going to have great comfort coming into Christmas and have great excitement at what Jesus has done because he gives to us that comfort that comes from the confirmed gift of his salvation. We look for comfort, if you think about it, in a lot of ways sort of creature comforts, life comforts, trying to uh, have a a nice car perhaps with a nice interior, Uh, comfort maybe from our resources, nice to have a robust retirement account. We can take some comfort from that. Might take comfort from sort of interrelational time, from, from having good friends, from having family that we can spend time with. That gives us a level of comfort as well might have comfort in our church family. Being here, feeling comfortable, maybe comfortable, maybe it feels, reminds us of home, reminds us of our church we grew up in, or there's friends here. Those things bring us comfort, and there's a lot of good in that. But it's temporary, of course. We can also have a lot of discomfort at different points in life, can't we? Job strains and difficulties. Marriage ups and downs, health struggles that are going on, perhaps guilt or shame over past decisions or actions or sins brings discomfort, brings discouragement into our lives. Well, whether you sit here, you and I today sit here and are relatively comforted by the things of this life or relatively discomforted by things that we are facing, we ultimately long for a deeper comfort, for something rooted below the passing circumstances of our life and something that lifts us above the discomforting things of our life. And these verses remind us, as Isaiah is reminding God's people, that we can find that comfort in God's working, that we can find it ultimately and is working through His Son, Jesus Christ. So look with me, with that introduction in mind, at these verses, and let's walk through them for a minute. Isaiah 40 begins with this message of comfort. The Bible, whenever it repeats something two times, it's just like an exclamation point, saying this is important. Isaiah 40, verse 1, says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Well, why should these people be comforted? Let's get a little bit of the context here 
in the Old Testament people of God, and I think it will help us to understand the fulfillment in what Jesus does as he comes into the world. I have shared in, in the past few weeks as we've been looking at Isaiah, but I'll remind us again, Isaiah is prophesying, declaring God's message at a time after the Old Testament kingdom, the earthly kingdom, has kind of reached its pinnacle under Kings David and Solomon several hundred years before Isaiah was around. And it had reached its pinnacle in terms of being God's people, dwelling in God's place, with God's plan, under God's rule and blessing, with God's presence. So they had reached this pinnacle. And now at the time of Isaiah, the the kingdom is divided into two nations, and the northern kingdom is on the precipice of being hauled off into exile. The southern kingdom will be hauled off in exile 150 or so years after Isaiah. So he is prophesying, especially in the first 39 chapters of this book of Isaiah, a message that has a a lot of judgment to it. It speaks a lot about the consequences that the people of God are going to face for having turned away from God in these exiles that are threatened. And they have fallen, as I said, from this pinnacle already. So they are looking forward to something. And even before they're being hauled off in exile, listen to this. Isaiah is already telling them, take comfort. Take comfort that God is going to do a work after this. He's going to do a work, as we'll see, of bringing comfort through his justification, through his restoration, through his communication, and through his protection. So we want to look at those four things today. And as the Old Testament, let me say this one other thing because it will help us a little bit. As Isaiah is predicting these realities after God's people come back from exile, they're going to be hauled off into Babylon and then come back from exile. He's predicting that sort of short-term fulfillment. He's also looking in the distance at the long-term fulfillment. And it'll help us to think this way if we're ever reading through the different prophetic books of the Bible, the the prophets Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Isaiah and so forth, that when they look at events and are sharing with us about events, it's a little bit like us going out to a mountain range maybe in Colorado or maybe in the Appalachian Mountains somewhere. And we stand at a distance from the mountains and we see kind of one mountain next to another mountain next to another mountain. We say there's mountains off in the distance. You start to travel towards those mountains and you all of a sudden realize that this one right here is actually really close. And the other mountain is 50 miles off in the distance. So too when these Old Testament prophets share, oftentimes they're sharing about something that's an up-close mountain, kind of a short-term fulfillment of that message. And then there's a mountain off in the distance. In this case, that beautiful peak, that wonderful summit off in the distance is Jesus Christ coming into the world. So too with this Isaiah 40 chapter, as we look at what it teaches us about God's comfort through justification, God's comfort through restoration, God's comfort through his communication and through his protection. Let's look at those realities for just a few minutes now. You look at me at verse 2. It declares this beautiful message. It says right in the middle of that sentence that their warfare has ended, that her iniquity is pardoned. That her iniquity is pardoned. We have here again in the book of Isaiah 
a reminder of what we will be told in great length in Isaiah chapter 52 and 53, that there's going to be a suffering servant come, and that by his stripes we are healed. That he's going to bear the price, the penalty for our sin. And not only that, but he's going to give us his righteousness to be credited to our account. This beautiful message of our pardon. As Romans 8, 1 in the New Testament declares, because of that, for believers, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For those who have trusted and placed their life in Jesus' hand, there's no condemnation from the Lord. Now this is particularly interesting in this context because it goes on in the last part of verse 2 to say that she, God's people, has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. What's this talking about? It's saying that the people are still going to go through a very difficult time. They're going to go through an exile, what, what we might call some discipline, some correction for their lives being out of alignment. And God's trying to use that to wake them up like those paddles they put on in the emergency room to your chest if you're having a heart attack and trying to get them to come back to life so that they can see their need of God's grace. And the New Testament reminds us of the same thing as well. In Hebrews chapter 12, it says that God actually loves, He cares for those that He disciplines and corrects. Now, why do I bring that up here? Well, it's in our passage is one of the main reasons I bring it up. But I also think part of the beauty of knowing our justification, that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ, is the reality that even in places in my life and your life, folks, where we feel or we're experiencing maybe a bit of God's correction, maybe he's allowing some things to come into our lives to kind of redirect us, even in those places, we should know that we have our sins pardoned. God's maybe lovingly bringing in some correction like we lovingly bring who are parents some correction into our children's lives, but it's not because he hates us. It's actually because he loves us and cares for us, even if it's bitter at some places. It's part of the beauty of the comfort that comes in God's justification. Second thing we see in these verses is the comfort that comes in God's restoration. Look with me at verses 3 and 4 in particular of Isaiah 40. It says, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up. Every mountain hill be made low. Uneven ground shall become level and the rough places plain. Now remember the People of God in Isaiah's day didn't have big SUVs with four-wheel drive and V8 engines that could theoretically surmount whatever terrain was in front of them. So the message that things are going to be leveled out, that things are going to be smoothed out, that a pathway is going to be prepared, that's a message of restoration. That's a message of things being restored to order. And that was a nice bit of news if you were trying to travel along a pathway. So keep that in mind. It's a picture of God's restoring work. It's also a message about a king coming in where they're preparing a way, a smooth way, for something in particular, for the Lord Jesus to come in, for him to come and fulfill his purposes. Picture it this way a little bit. If uh, a city 
is awarded the rights to be the next Olympic city. You know, there'll be a big TV show on it, and they'll announce, this is the next city for the such-and-such 2,000-whatever Olympics. And everybody will celebrate, and they'll show two or three cities with the cameras there, and the city that won, they'll all scream, and the other cities will be disappointed. But what will happen immediately? Maybe even it started to happen before that announcement. For that city that's honored to be the city that's going to host that big event, have all those people come in, have that special status, immediately they start widening roads to allow the traffic to come in. They might improve the gas lines and electrical power to different facilities. They're going to build some new hotels. They're going to pave over those uh, spots, those potholes along the road. They're going to smooth everything out, get everything ready for this special event. That's the picture here of restoration. And let me tie a couple of things together for you. I know a couple of weeks ago I invited you to to be willing to get out your steak knife a little bit and cut through a a steak that's going to be delicious but it's going to involve a little bit of chewing. So we'll do that again for a minute here today. Let me try to connect a few things for us. These words, in the wilderness prepare a way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Anybody know who pretty famous for saying those words? A guy named John the Baptist. A guy named John the Baptist who would come along right before the time of Jesus' ministry, public ministry, and he would declare these words about who? About Jesus Christ, that he's the one that's coming to bring restoration, that he's the one that's coming along this pathway. He's the one that all this planning and smoothing of roads is going to be for. And, you know, if you want to make one more connection, again, keep that steak knife moving. You may ask, okay, how does this information in Isaiah 40 really relate to Christmas? I've already been relating a little bit, but if you want to see one particular connection that came out to me as I was studying, and God's Word is fascinating this way, how these connections are there. We just have to see them sometimes. But these words about wilderness and preparing a way for the Lord from Isaiah, they're going to come forth from the mouth of John the Baptist. And we kind of forget about it a little bit at Christmas with the shepherds and the wise men, which are important and good. But when you have a chance, take a look at Luke chapter 1. Because Luke chapter 1 gives way more time, way more airtime, if you will, to John the Baptist and him being born right around the time of Jesus and the message coming to his mom and Zechariah and that interaction between Mary and Elizabeth, all of those things takes up a lot of space in Luke. Luke's interested to paint that connection of Jesus with John at their birth, even as we know John later is going to proclaim these words at Jesus' coming. So these two realities, what I'm trying to show you, are just linked at every point. And the message here is one of restoration. Folks, I hope you take comfort, that we can all take comfort this Christmas season, that Jesus is doing a restoring work. In those places in your life where you're hurting and broken or are in need, that he's coming in and he's leveling out, seeks to level out and smooth the rough places. He doesn't promise us things are going to be perfect in this life. In fact, the ultimate fulfillment of this, the ultimate restoration, is his eternal kingdom. That's the only place that we'll experience it ultimately. So we have that hope of what is eternal, even as we walk through the difficulties of this life, and even as we experience God's restoring power. 
in those places where we're facing great difficulty. So be encouraged today that God's doing a work of restoration. And it says this Jesus has promised one comes. He's symbolizing that, that he wants to restore things in my life and in yours, and he's ultimately going to restore them to perfection in his eternal kingdom. Third thing we see in these verses today is God's comfort, the comfort that comes from God's communication. Look with me now at the end of verse 5. It reminds us that the mouth of the Lord has spoken. There's a message There's a communication. Verse 6, it says at the beginning, a voice says cry. That's a communication. The end of verse 8, the grass withers, flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. And then verse 9, as crystal clear as day, get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. It's a beautiful thing that God communicates to us, isn't it? And in fact, just to make one more connection, if you're reading as you prepare for Christmas time, the first couple of chapters of Matthew and the first couple of chapters of Luke, you'll notice something. There's a bunch of that text in that Bible that's indented. And the reason it's indented is because God's revealing specific things to Zechariah, and he's got a message to share. To Mary, and she's got a message to share to Simeon, to the shepherds and the angels attending the shepherds. God's communicating. He's telling something about himself. Folks, it's a beautiful thing. We may take it for granted because we have one of these books in our car and in our house and in our office perhaps, or maybe three or four of them in each location. What a privilege it is for us that as we come into this Christmas season that Jesus has come into the world to reveal God to us And he's spoken to us about who God is, how we can know God, how we can relate to him. We don't have to remain in darkness. We have great light in God's communication. So God's in the business of saying something, communicating. Here's a little twist for you. God's communication should bring us comfort. But God's communication propels us to an act of communication that is one of the most uncomfortable, discomforting for all of us. And that is trying to tell other people around us, maybe friends, maybe co-workers, maybe people in our neighborhood, about who Jesus is, about who God is. God's communication propels us to communicate. It says here in verse 9, it's not talking just to Isaiah or to the prophets. It says to Zion, to Jerusalem, to the whole city, the people of God, the center of the people of God, to go and be a herald of good news, to go and share that news. That's one of the most, if, if we had to do a survey, we won't ask for a show of hands because it would probably be everybody. It's one of the most uncomfortable things, discomforting things as a believer is to communicate. Even when we went yesterday door to door and simply tried to invite people to come to church, you don't know what you're going to counter. You don't know how people are going to respond. And even as a pastor who's used to talking about these things and realities of salvation and the Lord, it's interesting to try to talk and even just do something as simple as invite somebody to church, let alone to ask them a probing question maybe about their spiritual background, how they grew up, or to maybe open up and share 
your own testimony, what the Lord has done in your life, and just see what fruit it would bear in that person's life. We struggle, we're discomforted by God's call for us to communicate His message for a couple of reasons when you think about it. One is that we really want everybody around us to like us. Just about everybody, every one of us wants that. And it's very interesting that Jesus in Luke 6.26 says, Woe to you when all men speak well of you. Woe to you when all men speak well of you. What does he mean? Does he mean we should do a bunch of things to offend everybody intentionally around us? No, what he meant was that if you're actually living, we are actually living as believers, the life that God calls us to, and seeking to communicate that, the message of Jesus is a stumbling stone. It requires a difficult thing. We have to acknowledge we're sinners, that we need God's grace. And so it rubs against people's lives and attitudes and perspective. So everybody's not going to like us if we're communicating faithfully God's message. That's part of it. So we we want everybody to like us, and that can't work if we're really communicating God's message. Another part of it is that we just maybe can't seem to find the way that we want to do it. And unfortunately, what we end up doing, myself included, is we spend months and years and decades trying to find the right way to communicate to a person we want to share about Christ And it's kind of like the woman who came up to the famous evangelist D.L. Moody after one of his evangelistic presentations. And, of course, there's different ways to share about our faith and so forth. This woman came up, and she was pretty critical of how this pastor Moody had communicated the gospel. And he was known for preaching the gospel all over the world and people coming to salvation. So he responded back to her as graciously as he could, but directly as he could, and said, Ma'am, I like my way of sharing the gospel better than your way of not sharing the gospel. It's pointed, but it's true, isn't it? We search around, I'm going to figure the way to communicate what God wants me to, and we never, ever get to actually doing it. Flip side, of course, is that it can be challenging to share God's message in a loving way. Like the little girl, Susie, who was in her classroom setting at the elementary school the day after, on Monday after Sunday, and she'd been learning from her Sunday school teacher about Jonah being swallowed by the whale the day before. The teacher and the class at her elementary school were learning about, uh, Mrs. Johnson was teaching about sea life, some of the realities of aquatic life. And little Susie raised this question to Mrs. Johnson, do whales swallow people? Mrs. Johnson was trying to stick to the facts, and so she said, well, even though a whale is much bigger than a person, they have these throat pleats in the back of their throat, and so they really couldn't swallow a person. Susie said, well, my Sunday school teacher said that whales do swallow people. She was pressing kind of hard. Mrs. Johnson was ready to move on with the classroom material, and so she firmly now corrected Susie and said, whales do not swallow people. Susie said, well, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask Jonah if he was really swallowed by a whale. 
Well, now Mrs. Johnson was frustrated and out of spite. She said, well, what if Jonah went to hell? Susie responded, well, then you can ask him. It's hard sometimes, even when we have the best of intentions, to share the message, to communicate what God wants us to about salvation in Christ to those who are around us, even if we realize we're called to it, even if we're trying to do it in a loving way and not be spiteful. But God calls us to do that. God calls us to do that. Part of Jesus coming into the world. Fulfilling these prophecies of Isaiah is this coming, this communication, which means we are called upon. We have the blessing, really, of being able to be heralds of the king, of sharing this news of salvation. Who might God be calling you and I to share with even this week, even as we go into the new year? The fourth and last thing we see in these verses, and it's just a brief point for us today, although much could be said about it, is God gives comfort through his protection. Look back with me at Isaiah chapter 40, verses 10 and 11. It says, Behold, the Lord comes with might, and his arm rules for him. And then verse 11, He will tend his flock like a shepherd. And he will gather the lambs in his arms. Part of the reason we want to share and communicate this message, part of the reason we delight that God has communicated to us this reality that he's been our justification, that he gives restoration, is that he, he loves us. He cares for us like a shepherd cares for his sheep. As Jesus said, he came to be the good shepherd. And so I just encourage us, on top of all these other things I've shared today, take great comfort as well as we go into Christmas season that the Lord Jesus has come into the world to be a shepherd, a good shepherd to us, to give us protection, to give us the comfort of knowing that he surrounds us with his loving care. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you that we can take such great comfort at all times, and especially as we look into this Christmas season from the reality of the gift of salvation that's been brought to us, the the justification, the pardon for our iniquity that we receive. Oh, Lord, the restoration that comes, and we do ask today in those places in our hearts and lives that need restoration, that you would work for places in our relationships that need restoration, that you would work. And in all of these things that you, Lord, would give us a greater vision for the ultimate restoration. That even as we look back on Jesus' coming at Christmas, that we would look forward to his second coming when all things will be made aright. Now, Father, we thank you as well for the comfort that comes from your communication, from speaking to us, from not leaving us in darkness and from your protection as well. Strengthen us by it, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.